Welcome to Improper Mimi. This is your host, Mimi Jacks. I'm excited to talk to you all today about things that help to empower women in all aspects of our lives, whether it's at home, work, or play. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And today I have a special guest with us. Um, I will ask you to introduce yourself. Just tell us your name, what it is you do, and why you love doing it. My name is Dr. Yolanda Lindsay, and I'm a board-certified dermatologist. I'm also a licensed cosmetologist and a hair wellness expert. And I love helping individuals in my office and virtually to achieve their goals with their hair, their skin, their nails. So I love being able to um, look at an issue that someone is having and come up with a solution um, that they can visibly see it affect. Oh, great. Yes, I know, because that's, you know, definitely hair and skin. Those are big, you know, issues and big topics that people have a lot of emotions about, you know, so I'm sure that you definitely are looking for advice and help and assistance on um, how to improve and how to, you know, make sure they have healthy hair and, he and healthy skin. So how did you get interested in, you know, like um, hair and skin and yeah, how did you get interested in this? Sure. So when I was uh, 13 years old, my mother took me to my first African-American physician who actually was a dermatologist and she really inspired me in how she communicated with me about my eczema and then I just saw how beautiful and articulate she was. So I was really inspired. And around the same time, I always had a knack for doing hair. I used to do my, you know, sisters and mother's hair. So I took up cosmetology mm -hmm. at my high school, which had vocational education. And so I got the idea to really integrate my background as a hairstylist with my love of science and math and, and helping people as a physician so mm -hmm. that's really how it started and it's been a long journey of training and school mm -hmm. and um but it's really great now to be able to do what i love oh good I, i've talked to a couple of different women and just to hear their stories about um the length of time it takes to get you, you know through their education to start a business and to get that business up and running off the ground it really is a passion of love because it's not it's not easy you know and you know i'm sure you could tell us some stories about you know just starting out and and even struggling of trying to get and build your clientele and build your you know your own business your own company and your brand you know mm -hmm. having that that brand that you've made for yourself the long journey um and it's not just been since I've been out of school, it's just even the process of getting into dermatology. Um, it's one of the most competitive medical specialties that, um, that exists. And so that was a big struggle of being competitive enough and doing extra um, projects. And I went and got another degree okay. and research. And so that all helped in my journey to be able to get in entrance and so and then the process of training started and then subsequently building a practice so definitely a long long journey but definitely worth it oh my goodness yeah so do you think that it was necessary to get additional degrees um in order to what build credibility 
or well to get into dermatology so um one of the things that they base your acceptance on is like board scores and so my board scores were not the best and so my um medical school dean told me that dermatology was not for students like me and um, like you like you how like you <laughs> like my scores yeah okay, okay. i thought you were going to say because of your color or something <laughs> Yeah, and so, and I, I, I had the faith and I had the insight that this was what I was supposed to do. And if I had to do extra work, years, research, a degree, I would do that. And so not everyone has to, but it's just that when you know what you want to do, you have to just be willing to do what it takes to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And thank you for being so persistent, you know, because now you made it to the place where you want to be and you're here helping people with, um, and, and even people of color, you know, as well, specifically with skin and with hair. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I get a lot of people who come, um, to see me from other states New York, Connecticut, um, New Hampshire, uh -huh. um, because they want a physician who is a black woman, one, and then mm -hmm. two, with hair, it's a little bit different. A lot of people feel more comfortable speaking with someone who has a similar hair type than they do, and also has the background that I have in cosmetology also attracts people to me as well. Yeah, definitely. Because I can imagine there are not a lot of African-American um, women dermatologists. We make up about well, African Americans make up about three percent of the nation's dermatologists, so they're very low. We're one of the second least diverse specialties after orthopedic surgery, so um, we are doing a lot of work to increase the pipeline um, for students to become even interested in dermatology so that they can do the necessary things in that long journey to be competitive. So it's it starts early. You can't just come <laughs> one day get the idea and you're already gone through college and it's just really an early process, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds kind of similar to like STEM, you know, like trying to increase the number of, you know, minority like children who are interested in science and technology and um just yeah it starts young letting them know these things are possible just even how you saw a black dermatologist when you were young and that piqued your interest in being able to that okay this is something that you can do that you you know can move forward with and pursue you know because that's something that you really wanted to to do and share yeah and so one of the things um i know we talked about before um when Ayanna Presley had come out about her type of alopecia that she was dealing with. And, and I know that I have other friends also with various different types. And um, so I thought it would be good for us to even talk about just kind of informing people, you know, about what alopecia is, um, maybe some of the different types that you come in contact with most frequently, people come to you and ask you questions about. Sure. So um, the biggest misconception is that the word alopecia is an actual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It's not. So alopecia just means hair loss. So I always say alopecia has a first name and a last name. So you need to know which specific type you have. So um, Congressman Presley said alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune type of 
hair loss that usually presents with circular patches of hair loss. They can happen on the scalp. Mm -hmm. Some men can get them in the beard. Um, they can really happen anywhere on the body. And then um, of that, about 10% of people can develop alopecia totalis like she did where you go completely bald. Mm -hmm. So um, that is um, a, a pretty common type of hair loss. We even see it in children. We see it in adults. We see it in all ages. Um, so when most people say the word alopecia, they're referring to alopecia areata. Mm -hmm. um, there are other types. Um, mainly the most common type is called androgenetic alopecia. And that's female and male pattern balding or thinning. Okay. And that's the type of hair loss that happens at the top of the scalp where the hair follicles get smaller mm -hmm. and they become miniaturized. And so that's why people um, develop this thinning right in the top because those hair follicles become smaller and smaller such that you cannot visualize them anymore. So that's um, a pretty common type. About 70% of women will develop that form of hair loss at some point in life. Oh, wow. um, and then within African-American women, they can develop androgenetic alopecia um, as well. But the number one form um, that Black women get is a form called CCCA, which is a form of scarring alopecia. Oh. And that condition is just epidemic. Um, it's very underdiagnosed. A lot of people don't even know what it is. They, they may call it different things like a stress spot or it was from my medications and just all these things that we tell ourselves and we don't know exactly what it is. So that's one of the reasons why I like to take opportunities, you know, like this on podcasts and on social media to really educate because what we know about that form of alopecia in particular is it needs to be diagnosed as early as possible because it leads to permanent scarring. Mm -hmm. And so the longer one waits to get a diagnosis, the less opportunity they will have to get that hair to grow back. One notices changes in their scalp, itching, tenderness, um, things like that. Sometimes it can be no symptoms, but to have it addressed mm -hmm. and have it addressed the board certified dermatologist and if you can try to find one who specializes in hair loss and it's quite complex but if you can't get a dermatologist and then maybe you can seek out some extra um, research but that is very 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 important because what what we found in our research and in our practice is that we can diagnose people early we can really help stop that progression because it gets bigger over time so if you do nothing it'll double, it'll triple, and not overnight in like five years, 10 years. So, you know, a woman can look up at 50 years old and have like 75% of their scalp smooth, completely gone, yeah. not grow back. And so that's why I'm really passionate about increasing awareness. Because mm -hmm. when people come to me, they're like, oh my God, I've been having this for 20 years. And I never knew that there were doctors that could help me with this or I never, it's just so many, I never knew and that I hear all the time. And so I'm like, okay, well, let me try to um, help to, to raise awareness, get the word out. that This is a thing <laughs> that is a common thing that happens and, um, and it often runs in families. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and I can just imagine, you know, that, thinking and looking of who to go to and who can recommend and, you know, not where knowing where to start. Yeah. I might not have even thought of like, if I'm losing my hair or something that I would look for 
who I would think would be like a skin doctor, you know, not really thinking of my scalp, you know, just thinking of like my hair and not even really thinking it's coming out of my scalp. Um, But I remember seeing one of your um, like lunch and learns and you were talking about how you were working with hairstylists. That's brilliant because who sees our hair the most or, you know, like, you know, hairstylists, they, they, oftentimes they are the ones notice that there's something different or something's going on with your hair. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I partner with a lot of local salons and I also have a course for hairstylists who want to get additional training because the training that we get in cosmetology school is not enough to really be able to know even what you're looking at. And hairstylists cannot diagnose because giving someone a diagnosis is practicing medicine. And you have to- Exactly, you need a degree. (laughs) Medicine. But um, it is helpful to be able to bring things to someone's attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Even by taking a photo, because you can't really see the back of your scalp. And so if your hairstylist can show you, this is what's going on back here and the client see it, and encourage them to go to get a diagnosis that will make all of the difference in the world regarding what I spoke about earlier in terms of getting an early diagnosis. And I definitely see a delay in African-American women presenting for a diagnosis compared to Caucasian women. Um, My Caucasian patients, they come in very early. Many times when I ask them how long the hair loss has been going on, they say three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. The black one, women are like three years, four years, 10 years. And so that's what I want to really try to understand why. I know we have a lot of mistrust in the medical community due to things that have happened in the past. And so that's why I think um, having a diverse workforce in the medical community is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, Studies do show that patients feel more comfortable with a physician or provider who has the same ethnic background. Yeah. So, um, that's why I think it's one of the goals of the American uh, Association of Medical Colleges is to have the numbers of the um, medical workforce reflect the numbers in the country. So if African-Americans are 13% of the country, we should at least be 13% of dermatologists and we're only 3 oh. So highly underrepresented. And this is the reason why a lot of people have to do a lot of traveling, set up virtual consultations, because you may live in a city where there's no one for miles and miles around. And so um, very, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a situation that we're working on. I just saw some great news yesterday that um, for this year's um, dermatology class that just matched. There were 25 Black uh, medical students who matched into dermatology. I was like, yay. Oh, <laughs> what does that mean when, when they match? What does that mean? That means you get a spot. That means you get All accepted right. into, the, um, into the residency program. So oh, cool. um, I was the first um, African-American medical student to get a position or match at my medical at um in the Boston University Tufts University dermatology program back in okay. 2007 wow. and it's 25 year history so that was um yeah and, and subsequently there's probably only been maybe three um that have graduated from that program so we have a lot of work to do yes but what do you think would help with that you know how can we increase you know the number of um 
diversity in, in dermatology. Yeah. Yeah, over the past couple of years, there's actually been a lot of research being done by colleagues within dermatology around um, what are some interventions that will be the most effective. And it's one of the recommendations is starting early interest, as I mentioned earlier, getting young individuals like myself, when I was a teenager, even the interest peaked that this is a possibility. I never, I wasn't even thinking about medicine, to be honest. Till I saw that doctor that day, thought I was probably going to go into law because I like debate and stuff like that. I didn't know. I was a teenager. But once I saw her, I was like, oh, I like this. I really like this. And so I started shadowing her and going to her office when I was home on college breaks and in the summertime and just getting... Um, exposure over a long period of time and, and really developing a mentor mentee relationship with her and she would let me know about different opportunities so that's really how it starts and then I think at the um, institutional level um, having students to really seek out mentorship mm -hmm. um, we definitely know that um, a lot of African-American students sometimes don't have um, as many mentors or quality mentors mm -hmm. as some others. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've really been trying to do my part. I, I have students who come and ro do rotations in my office and mm -hmm. I have some who will write articles with me um, different, so they can get a publication in. Oh, so yeah. those things all make a huge difference. And so that's one of my you know big passions because if I had listened to that dean, I would have given yeah. up on my exactly. dream. And I've seen the impact that I've been able to make. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, this almost didn't happen. <laughs> right? Because uh, plans for you, so. Right. People, um, you know, a lot of times is people, like, if you don't check all the boxes, you're canceled. And that's just not the case. I mean, you're going to have a harder road, which I did. Uh -huh. But you, you know, you can't tell this person what they can do because you don't know how much they're willing to work to accomplish that goal. So that's one of the things about me. I'm relentless in my, my effort. You're not going to outwork me. I mean, when I did a year research in the department before I got a spot, I was there. I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave in the evening. I was doing those experiments. I was presenting <laughs> As though I was presenting in a medical meeting, you know, but Everything all of that, you do. Yeah. how you show up is super important. So, so yeah. And so that's a, a encouraging word. I like to give the students that you really yeah. have to go after it because some, you know, people are not always going to hold your hand <laughs> and encourage you. Yeah. You encourage yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that really touches my heart because mentoring i do feel is so important whether it's in you know project management whether it's in you know like therapy or you know science and biology like the fact that you were able to shadow you know that doctor so not just seeing that doctor one time and being impressed but you were able to build a relationship that she kind of became you know like a mentor for you um, be able to shadow, you know, those things are priceless. You know, like when we talk about um, encouraging our youth, you know, and mentoring them and giving them opportunities and helping them open their eyes to different things that they can do and being able to follow in someone's footsteps to see if that's really what you want to do. Exactly. 
<laughs> but yeah, you know, having mentors is just so important in helping to guide us and so we could discover what it is that we actually want to do. And I was going to go back to what you were saying also about the um, the time it takes for people to to seek help between like some the white women come in like three weeks and you know black women maybe like three years and that just you know also to me like you say that mistrust kind of in the in the medical you know industry and um but also we're just always on the go you know and sometimes you know women just you know are always putting other people first and thinking about you know what they have to do for the family and the home and and not you know taking care of themselves and um and like and not realizing that diagnosis is important to helping and to solving and and coming up with a solution. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> so that's a that's a big thing, and uh, I just suppose that um, if we help people to see the the consequences of delaying, it will make a huge difference. And so sometimes I just show photos of late cases, and people are like, "Oh my goodness!" It kind of like scares you. Like, let me get this address. <laughs> yeah. So. That's the nice thing about social media. You can kind of like show people easier than you can tell. Them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering too, because like we're in this time of Corona right now, you know, the Corona 19, you know, virus has a lot of people um, working from home and staying indoors. And um, one thing that I think I mentioned with, was it alopecia areata? That was an immune. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, has anyone asked you about a relation with that? With I don't even know. It doesn't make, I don't think it makes sense, you know, for um, if there was like an immune deficiency that you would be more likely to get COVID or more likely to get, you know, um, that type of alopecia or. Well, yeah, yeah, no, this is not. Um, it's autoimmune, so what that means is that your body produces T cells, which go and attack itself. So it's going mm. to attack the hair follicles. Normally, T cells are mounted up when you have an infection, and mm. but in autoimmunity, like lupus, that's an autoimmune condition. Vitiligo, um, scleroderma, all of these are autoimmune conditions where the body is basically attacking itself. Mm. Um, so definitely different than an infectious process like COVID, where um, something from the outside is attacking and then causing an inflammatory response. So um, just different in terms of whether the source is external versus internal to the body. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes people hear one word and then they just connect it with everything. They're like, ooh, yeah. and you're like, what's that? <laughs> so it's important to get like that correct information out to people so that, you know, they don't just go running in the wrong direction then we have to turn them around and take even more work to bring them back right <laughs> indeed um and then what about technology like do you see any like cool or new technology that you've been using in in order to help you in your business yeah well since our office has been closed two weeks yesterday um due to the COVID 19 pandemic and I've been doing virtual visits um, three days a week from home. 
and you know being able to see help patients dealing with acne hair loss eczema get refills you know different things like that just be able to check in 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 a video visit just like this and go back and forth and I can actually see something that they want me to see and um anything that they may need so I think um this has been a great um, show of how to pivot. You have to be able to pivot. And mm-hmm. while we're definitely not where we normally are in the office in terms of our volume, but at least we're able to work and we're able to keep our employees employed um, with yes. all the um, layoffs that are happening. I'm really happy for that, even though we're doing reduced hours and we're not mm-hmm. as busy as we normally are, but at least we're able to be here for our patients and new patients because the government. Um, they relaxed some of the rules regarding telemedicine. So um, you can now do it for patients you who are new to you, also who are in different states. So it's really good. So oh, yeah, um, yeah previously you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I imagine that must be big that you can um, see patients in different states virtually because that adds to the clientele as well. Right, and I've been doing um, self-pay virtual business for the past few years. After mm-hmm. I see my patients in the office and I enjoy it. I, I meet with people from all across the country. Usually they hear yeah. me through social media and um, it's more of a coaching, um, being able to hear what's going on and give them some advice. And, mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes they'll work with their local dermatologist because uh, many times people are looking for another opinion. And so okay. I I provide that service as well, which is um, been having really great results with that. Oh, good. Yeah. And when I think about like virtual visits, I think about like talking and consulting, but you're right now with all these video calls and, and even before I'm sure you already were doing this, but you can actually see people and they can like come right up to the camera and, you know, like show you exactly what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's not just pictures, you know, that they can send you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. If you have, I mean, the connection sometimes isn't the greatest, but um, we we just try to make it work, and it, it's been really good. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. And is there like a um, um, a sisterhood of dermatologists that have you guys had any like virtual meetings or you know like get-togethers lately? <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, are all, a lot of us are dealing, though, especially those of us who are practice owners uh, versus mm-hmm. employed dermatologists um, have been just trying to help each other through figuring out how to apply for um, some of the assistance that has come through the CARES Act and, mm-hmm. you know, what to do about our staffs and, you know, how to get expenses down. And so it's been a really good sister and brotherhood it's a group of us um who get together yeah. don't want to leave the brothers out right. you know, we, we've even done um i organized the zoom call for us all to get together um last sunday and we were just able to get on and talk and answer questions and ask questions mm-hmm. that was really really good so just be there and be a support because we're, we're we call ourselves unicorns <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there are the, the like um, Tiffany Haddish, a black unicorn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, we definitely have to stick together. So that's that's good to hear that there is that, um, you know, both sister and brotherhood, you know, where, you know, you can come together and, and even share ideas, that's you know, because 
just as we're talking about mentorship for, you know, young people training them up. Once you get there, like even mentorship with peers, you know, like to be able to support each other and give each other ideas, you know, so that when one person wins, we all win, you know, so that's, that's good to help each of those different businesses to strive and to thrive and keep growing. Right. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and then I, I, one other thing that I was thinking about too was um, Hair Crown Act that was um, passing around like through various states. And um, are you familiar with that? Can you maybe tell us a little more about what that sure. is? Sure. So the don't Crown know? Act um, is legislation um, really that is um, seeking to protect individuals to be able to wear their hair in their natural state in, in its simplest terms. Mm -hmm. And um, one would think that, that we shouldn't need a law <laughs> to do this, but it, it is so this. much um, in the in the news with people being fired and not being able to graduate um, for wanting to wear locks or or, or twists or we different things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really exciting to see um, multiple states adopt this and local municipalities as well. And so. We're hoping for the federal, you know, yeah. um, act to come down in the uh, near future. And so um, it's, been, it's been really uh, yeah. um, a great win. And in, in most places, it's been passing unanimously. Um, so, that, so that's been really, really good. I remember one of the jobs I had, they had hair um, stipulations in the employee handbook. And so that that's uh, like, you know, hair shouldn't be too oh um, distracting. And, you know, it's words that are used that uh -huh. um, is very subjective, <laughs> to be honest. And so um, it's great that this yeah. protection will be able to be there so that if there's issues, it can mm -hmm. be, you know, because first that is, is enacting, but then you have to actually enforce um, the legislation that passed. So, yeah, yeah so I'm very excited. I sat on a panel at the Natural Hair Industry Convention with um, the attorney who is um, at the forefront of that, um, a woman named Wendy Green, and um, Dove, the, the, the brand okay. Dove has been really, um, instrumental in um, supporting mm -hmm. a lot of the lobbying efforts behind it. I know that is so exciting because it is not comfortable. It's, it's not a good feeling going to work and then having someone tell you, you know, that, your hair is not appropriate or that is distracting. And it, I just, I woke up like this, literally, I just woke up like this, you know, this is how my hair is for people to, to feel stressed or discriminate against at work because yeah. of just how they're wearing the hair. It's not fair, you know, and it's yeah. um, just another thing that, you know, people go through and, it, you know, I go to all these different conferences and they talk about, you know, how to dress appropriately, you know, and trying to teach and work with people on advancing their careers. And then there's, you know, something as simple as your hair might be keeping you back just because of um, someone else's view, opinion, you know, on, you know, how they see your hair. Um, so that's... Friends says she wears a wig on her job interviews. Um, mm -hmm. She covers her locks so that that's... Yeah, that's a, that's a shame that you have to worry about that, but it's a real yeah. thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
Yeah, to go through so much work to cover up who you are, but then they say, bring your authentic self to work, you know, you know? <laughs> and you're like, I would accept, you know, everyone is not accepting of the whole of me. Um, so yeah, so that's always, you know, good news when I saw like different states, you know, popping up and um, accepting that act and leaning in and, you know, providing support, um, you know, for people to, to be able to wear their hair as it comes naturally. So no, that's good to hear. So let me ask you, is there anything that you have um, experienced or anything that you have on your heart that you want to share with folks, you know, about uh, dermatology or hair loss or any other things that you're working on or doing? Sure. Um, I always take an opportunity when I'm given a platform to encourage people to, if you're experiencing anything uh, with your scalp, your hair, itching, burning tenderness, get it addressed right away. Um, a lot of times we like to go on Amazon and, and Google and try different things. And um, it's okay to try things, but depending on what it is, you could be wasting valuable time mm -hmm. and follicles even. And so it's better, I would say, to go ahead and just get it addressed by a professional versus trying a specific oil that because someone told you or, or trying a vitamin because someone told you, but actually knowing what you have um, because there's so many different types of hair loss. And then secondly, I would say um, is really try to educate yourself. I wrote a book that is really helpful for individuals who um, have hair loss or want to get healthier hair is called getting to the root. And I, um, I have a chapter on each of the 15 major forms of hair loss, also a chapter on natural hair and nutrition and hair. So it's a really good read for a lay audience for a hairstylist is really great. And it's even great for physicians who want to learn more about it as well, yeah. but it has color photos um, in the book um, showing the different forms of hair loss. So that's a great resource that people can get. It's on Amazon or you can get a signed copy on our website, um, lindsayderm.com. Yes. So there are things. And then if people are wanting to have a consultation, um, I do virtuals, you know, pretty much exclusively now. Mm -hmm. But then and after this is over, I still will be doing virtuals as I have been before. And you can, um, you know, reach out to our practice um, by sending an email to info at lindsayderm.com um, to request an appointment. And uh, a lot of the insurances are covering virtual visits these days if we are contracted with your insurance. And if we're not, we have a very reasonable self-pay price. Okay. Um, of the things that um and if you're a you know if you have a student who is maybe interested in medicine and consider dermatology it's a wonderful field and you know get exposure early get mentorship early um because there's many of us out here who want to see the diversity of our dermatology workforce improved and increased mm -hmm. so i uh, look into that as well okay Oh, good. Those are all good um, tips and information to have and um, that good into the root. You know, that sounds like a really good book, you know, to, to take a look at, you know, like you say, for for many different type of people or anyone just trying to um, brush up on some information, you know, and of course, reaching out to the source, you know, and and getting to know Dr. Lindsay and and um, working with your practice and your uh, consultation as well. 
So, well, thank you so much. I'm glad that you were able to join me today. Sure, absolutely. This is great. Say thank you for listening to Improper Mimi, where we talk about empowering women at home, work, or play. Be sure to follow Improper Mimi wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. And we'll chat with you later. Ciao.